What up, what up, what up? Thank you for joining me for episode three of When the Hunt Calls. Um, if you have not already checked it out, please, uh, it don't have to be in any particular order. So when you're done with this episode, please go ahead and check out episode one and two. Um, I'm really doing my best to get better as each of these uh, episodes progress or as the show progresses. All right. With that being said, I would also appreciate if you guys, whatever platform, whatever podcast platform you are using in order to listen to When the Hunt Calls, please drop me a five-star rating. That helps with, um, you know, any and everyone being able to find this podcast. And now, with that being said, let the intro music take you on a little hip-hop ride, y'all. What's good, fellow hunters and huntresses? Um, all right, so uh, last week, February 7th to be exact, I got the opportunity to check out um, the NRA's Great American Outdoor Show, which was uh, located out in um, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, it ran from like February 1st to February 9th, um, and I had heard it was a, a pretty good show, a pretty big show, something to check out. Um, you know what I'm saying? So I made it a point to head out there. Um, it was a fairly interesting experience, um, mainly because of a couple issues that arose for me. First one being uh, my wife was kind of um, pissed and worried that I was going. Pissed because um, I took the day off from work to go, um, you know, it being a, a Friday, um, and worried because she was under the impression that this was a type of event that either not many people of color attended or no people of color attended. Um, and I, what I did was I tried to, you know, alleviate her fears by letting her know that, um, yeah, there weren't many black people that attended uh, this particular show, um, as far as I knew. And um, you know what, the, the only information I'm going off of is social media and that, um, what do you call it? But that I would be careful, I would be safe, you know, as, as best as I possibly could. Um, now, uh, heading out to Harrisburg, um, I headed out there probably about like eight, nine o'clock in the morning, you know, after I dropped the kids off at school with my wife. Uh, it was about a three and a half, maybe four hour trip. And um, what do you call it? I got there, got to Harrisburg. Now, <clears throat> when you get to a venue like uh, like that, um, a huge venue like that, I believe it's called the Farm Show Complex. Um, you know, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and it's a pretty big place. It's got a it's got a bunch of different parking lots. Some of some of the parking lots are close to the venue. Others are pretty far. What was dope was that they provided, um, you know, a free shuttle service going from uh, any of the parking lots that were far from the venue, um, all the way to to there and then back. You know, whenever you're ready to leave, you could catch a shuttle bus heading back to your car. So um, so. When I got there after my little four hour drive, um, you know, parked the car, uh, looked for the shuttle. Um, as as I uh, 
was getting on the bus. I had <laughs> I had my hoodie and my snapback on, and um, as I was getting on the bus, you know, I could hear a pretty good conversation, pretty good amount of conversation going on. So I knew the bus was full based on the 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 audio level on the bus. But as I got on the bus, I removed my hoodie, and I could basically hear the entire bus's conversations come to a standstill. Um, I could only assume it's because they were surprised to see that I was there. Um, uh, it is what it is, you know what I'm saying? I could say it's because, you know, I was rocking a hoodie, a snapback, um, some jeans and a fresh pair of Jordans. Um, or I could say it's because I was the only black dude on the bus. Um, you know what I'm saying? But the bus was completely packed. The only seat that was open was all the way in the back. So I had to quietly and quite uncomfortably navigate the entire bus, you know, make my way to the back of the bus, take my seat. Um, and that's how my my visit to, uh, you know, to the Great American Outdoor Show began. A uh, bus dropped us off and, um, you know, I got there going in. I'm not going front. I got some looks. Um, as I was going in, I got some looks as I was walking through, but that is not what I was there for. In all honesty, um, I really wanted to just see what a show like this was like. And I wanted to see, um, you know, a few people that I up until then only had a relationship with um, via social media. So I got there, um, the entrance I went, in, went into, um, pretty much you walked in, that particular hall, guns, everywhere it was it was actually kind of dope um i honestly didn't get a chance to stay in that hall um very long because i made a beeline straight for the archery hall um looked at my map <clears throat> went right there so um went to the archery hall um got a chance to meet up with some really cool people like i said who up until that point i had only um associated with them uh, via Instagram, uh, first dude I got to meet in person was none other than uh, none other than Isaac Aliman. Um, Isaac uh, works for Eastern Archery, and he was manning the Sever Broadhead booth with um, Craig. I got the opportunity to chop it up with with Isaac and Craig, <clears throat> and later on in the day with um, John. Um, I believe it's John. I feel I will feel really bad uh, if his name wasn't John. But either way, um, I got the opportunity to chop it up with with Isaac and the rest of them, and really got some insight into you know the history of Easton. Um, you know, got some got the scoop on some stuff going on in the hunting industry, and it was really cool, really cool, um, great opportunity that I had there. Um, from there, uh, I made my way over to the Afflictor Broadhead booth. Now, um, I'd been chatting it up with Chris Creed for quite a while as well, um, via social media. I even got, I even had a conversation with him over the phone. Really nice guy. Um, he was manning the Afflictor booth with his wife, Amy. Both, both great people. Um, if not for nothing else, Yo, it, I don't care what broadhead you guys are shooting. Um, give Afflictor a look, you know, a, a once over, check it out. Um, because just in terms of their level of customer service and just, you know, they're just really cool folks 
really good people um, that I just at the end of the day wouldn't mind doing business with. All right. Um, so that was pretty cool. I also got the opportunity to meet up with um, Trevor Berwick. If you don't know Trevor, Trevor was one of the hosts of the East Coast Bunt Bull. Damn, I always mess up. It's like a tongue twister. Trevor was one of the hosts of the East Coast Bow Hunting Podcast. Um, now he's branching out, doing his own thing with uh, the Ghost Hunter, the Modern Assassin, Stephen Clark, all people you got to check out on Instagram. They were really cool. Um, Trevor is also another person that um, I've been kind of leaning on with for information and stuff. So it was... Um, really cool after you know dming him back and forth on instagram and even texting him back and forth because um i have his number you know he was really nice about you know giving out his number uh when i first hit him up on instagram and he's been a great source of information but those guys are putting together a new podcast i believe called the outdoor drive um so check that out um the other thing I got to check out that was really dope was the Outfitters Hall. Um, I didn't realize how many freaking outfitters there were out there, but there were a lot. And um, I got the chance to sit down with Brian Durr. Uh, Brian is actually a former New Yorker that made his way out to Kentucky. And I actually got the chance to sit down with him briefly and discuss uh, his journey. So that's basically that about my trip to Harrisburg. So sit back, relax, and listen in on my interview with Brian. All right, Brian, um, thank you for joining me, man. I, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, for my listeners, um, the gentleman I'm speaking to now, Brian Durr, right there, yep, pronounced correctly. Um, the way I, I, I met Brian was on Instagram, to be specific, social media. And um, what uh, was so cool about Brian's story, which he's gonna you know, tell us about, the fact that he originates from uh, Long Island. So um, I'm gonna ask now, so coming from Long Island, Brian, um, how'd you end up, where'd you end up going to, or how'd your journey begin from Long Island to where you ended up now? Well, I went to school at St. John's University, and I went for environmental science. Um, now, my family's always been a big hunter uh, and fishing family, and we used to go upstate a lot. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew I wanted to do something outdoors. So nice. environmental science is where I got started. Um, and after college and after graduating college, I didn't want to take a desk job right away. I kind of wanted to explore a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I put, uh, put some emails out to some different hunting guides and fishing guides um, in the Midwest, Kentucky, Ohio, Illinois, and got a few responses and landed in Kentucky. Nice. Now, I went out there and guided for a few years and kind of learned the business, mm -hmm. uh, not knowing that I was going to end up doing this. Okay. And uh, you know, now we're here nine years later, uh, and that experience that I had those first couple years taught me a lot about what to do, what not to do, and how to interact with people. All right, so now, um, just to clarify for the li listeners, what Brian means by doing this is Brian is the founder and owner of Whitetail Crossing. Whitetail Crossing, I'm sorry, I don't want to mess it up, and it's uh, based out of Kentucky. Uh, we're not going to go into detail yet uh, exactly about Whitetail Crossing, just want to talk more about uh, you know, your journey. Mm -hmm. um, so 
Um, what was guiding like? Because I mean, now you've got a, a degree in environmental science. Um, how difficult was it to get into being a guide? Well, I mean, it, it, it's something that anybody could really do if they want to learn more about the inner teachings of whitetails and, and how to hunt and how to land manage. There's a lot more that goes into it than people really know. All right. Um, so I mean, the biggest thing is you have to you have to be willing to work. You need to be willing to listen. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got to get your hands dirty. Copy that. So it's more than just me reaching out one day and be like, hey, can you take me on a hunt? And then you just take, you actually, um, as a guide, were you linked up with a, you worked for another company, another outfitter? I or, did. Yep. All right. And that's how you got your experience. Yeah, I got to, uh, I worked as a guide. I worked underneath the owner and a couple other head guides that worked there. Mm-hmm. Um, and not knowing much about how to interact with people, mm-hmm. that was the biggest thing for me to learn. Um, you know, you could watch television and all these hunting shows and <laughs> pick up all this information, but until you're out there, I mean, it's it's how you apply it that makes everything work. All right. Now, um, would you say that to be a guide, you'd need that educational background that you had? Or, can, like, if I decided, me, I'm 43 years old, I've never hunted before, if I decided I wanted to be a guide right now, um, I, granted, I'm you're in Kentucky and I'm in New York City, um, let, let's speak on Kentucky. Is, is it easy to become a guide, or does it does is the educational background required? Uh, there is some education that would be required. All right. I mean, it's not like you need to go to get a four-year degree to do this. All but right. what you do want to know, um, you want to have some basic knowledge of hunting. Mm-hmm. You want to know a little bit about the terrain and geography. Mm-hmm. Um, some things that have really helped me is learning how to read a topo map, an aerial map. Um, that's the kind of thing that I love to do. I love I love the pre-scouting um, season where there's more to it than people really know. Nice. But you could do this. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty what you're asking. I mean, anybody could do this. They just got to be willing to learn and uh, put the time in. Nice, nice. All right, so... All right, so you went to school in New York, studied environmental science. Um, you knew you wanted to work outdoors. I can totally relate to that. Um, and start now. Did you originally become a guide out in Kentucky, or was your were you a guide in another city or state? No, I was I was a guide in Kentucky for three years uh, before I got the opportunity to open my own place. Okay. And uh, now we are nine years later, and. Uh, I enjoy teaching some of the other guys that are working with me. I'm really trying to groom the next, you know, heir to the uh, white tail cross guys, so to speak. You know, because I want to be able to spend some more time with the family as they grow up. All right. So now, where in Kentucky is white tail crossing? Um, you know, in really, we're we're located in Springfield, Kentucky, okay. which is about 45 minutes south of Lexington. Okay. It's considered central Kentucky. All right. Now, what made you, um, what made you kind of settle on um, Springfield? Like, it's. I mean, Kentucky is a huge state. What about that particular area made you want to base uh, Whitetail Crossings there? Well, it was something that me and my dad went into together. My okay. dad's a big real estate investor, All right. and uh, I love to hunt. So it's something we can kind of relate to, you know, love of the land. Mm-hmm. So when I decided that I wanted to do this. He and I went all over the state. We went to Western Kentucky. We went to Northern Kentucky. We experienced what Eastern Kentucky had to, to offer. Um, so we got to see all the different terrains, 
And what it really came down to was, if I wanted to raise a family someday, how could we live in an area that had the, the whitetails and the turkeys and still be close enough where a family could be raised um, in and around an area, you know, there was some population. Nice, nice. Um, now, you're, so it's safe to say you grew up hunting with your dad. Not really, because my dad's not big of a hunter. Oh, it, no. It was my uncle and my grandfather who really got me into hunting. So after high school, my high school graduation gift was a hunting trip. Oh, okay. And from that point on is really where I got my love. I mean, I've always been outside, but I never hunted on my own until I went to high school and graduated high school. Oh, nice. All right. So now you guys find, you know, you guys come into Springfield, Kentucky. How do you get, um, how do you get Whitetail Crossing off the ground? Well, what we did, we purchased a piece of property that was 870 acres right there in Springfield. And I attained one lease. So my first year operating, I only had 1,200 acres. We took maybe 15 or 20 people just to kind of break through the door. And basically what it was was some some past friends that have hunted with me and just word of mouth. And uh, we had a great first year and that kind of just started the journey. Nice, nice. And on that property, what what um, wildlife is available to hunt? Uh, everything we did was basically just the deer, the turkeys, coyotes, uh, and the occasional bobcat. Oh, wow. Okay. So now, um, we spoke earlier about uh, tags in Kentucky. I guess uh, educate me, or you know, you could tell me again, or educate my listeners. Um, in terms of tags, how many deer tags... Um, are available to the average hunter in Kentucky. All right, when you buy your first license in Kentucky, you're required to buy an annual non-resident license uh, and a deer permit. Mm-hmm. That will give you four deer. Wow, those four to start. Wow. Four to all start right. with that license. And what it is, is you can use all four on does, or you could use three does and one buck tag. Wow, okay, so you can split across. And then um, now after you've gotten those, let's say you, let's say you're like a, this crack hunter, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you fill those four tags. What can you do after that? You can purchase a bonus tag uh, up to three at a time. And each of those Damn. bonus tags is worth two does. So hold on, oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so let's, all right, let's say I'm the dopest hunter ever. All right, I fill these four tags, right? I've got one buck, three does, yep. okay? So essentially, I can purchase more tags, and each tag is good for three more deer? Each tag is good for two more deer. Oh, two more deer. Yeah. Okay, two more deer. But we are allowed unlimited in the counties that we hunt, so you could buy another 15 bonus tags and keep shooting deer all season long. (laughs) Talk about filling the freezer. Yes, like you could essentially hunt one season and be good good for like two or three years. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow, wow. All right. Um, I definitely really have to consider coming out of Kentucky. But um, now tell me more about, about the, you know, Whitetail Crossing. Like, what sets you guys apart from, uh, like, I, I'm here right now and, and I see all these outfitters out here. Um, what do you believe sets you guys apart from these other outfitters? I think, it, I believe it's the attention to detail. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot more that goes into a hunt than people realize. I mean, it's... For me, it's a, it's a 12-month job. I mean, I don't have a regular job that I go 9 to 5. This is my livelihood. So I spend, you know, January at shows. I spend February and March shed hunting and scouting. 
then you get into April where there's turkey hunting and food plot management. Uh, we're getting ready for that mm-hmm. coming up. Um, you know, May, June. I mean, you're you're always doing something on a farm to make it better. And uh, you know, some of the stuff that we do that kind of sets us apart. It's the the stands that we use. It's the blinds that we use. It's nothing that you would just go to the local store and buy. You know, mm-hmm. the cheapest thing available. Mm-hmm. I buy stuff that I would use on myself. Okay. You know, at a hunt. So I mean, it's usually some of the top top quality products that are out there. So let me ask real quick because you mentioned um, your family. Um, is whitetail crossing, or let's say in terms of your family life, when it comes to hunting, you guys are fully like self-sustaining. Like, is all like the meat you eat straight from the, the animals you hunt, or do you still you know go to the supermarket for the occasional you know beef steak? Or I mean, I'm, I'm always gonna be a ribeye guy. <laughs> but, uh, we do we do start to use some venison. Uh, we have a lot of ground beef that we'll turn into burgers and use in meatloafs mm-hmm. uh, and some of the spaghetti sauces. Um, so we're starting to use more of what we kill. Okay. Um, a lot of our hunters take their meat home, but the ones that don't, either we use it or I have a list of Facebook followers mm-hmm. that I keep their names and numbers, and they, they're welcome to pick up the deer that are tagged legally, and all they have to do is come pick it up. Oh, all right. That's really gen- you. So you don't sell it. It's you. No, everything is free that we donate. That's really generous of you, man. Yep. All right. Cool. Now, um, something I had to ask you earlier. I had asked if what Whitetail Crossing does is because I'm still I'm still new to this. So I'm somewhat familiar with high high fence hunting or high fence management. Um, what is it? What is that like in relation to what you guys do? All right, everything we do is considered 100% fair chase, which basically means that a deer has the right to, to move freely. It can go from neighboring property to neighboring property. Um, you know, there's no restriction for their movement. Now, a high fence place is kind of like deer farming. Okay. All right, so basically they'll, they have a high fence that's 10 or 12 feet tall. It, there's no escape for the deer, but those deer are bred specifically for genetics, mm-hmm. uh, superior genetics, which is why you see those crazy racks with all the points, because yeah. they are bred for ideal condition. Got it, got it, got it. All right, so if if me being a new hunter um, decides, you know, after a year or two, you know, I have no success, I'd like to, um, I'd like to uh, link up with an outfitter, what do you usually recommend to, um, I know you would recommend your, uh, you know, your company, Whitetail Crossing, <laughs> but what should a new hunter look for when they're looking for an outfitter? Well, you want to find somebody who's willing to give you a personal touch. All right. There's a lot of outfitters now that are, are driven by money, uh, which is really the wrong way of doing things. I mean, you want to find somebody who loves what they do, who loves the animal, mm-hmm. um, and is willing to put the time in to get you on that animal. So if you could find a place... There's a million places out there, but if you can find a place that doesn't take, you know, 15, 20 people a week, and you can have that small camp atmosphere, nice. you will enjoy the people that you're hunting with and camp, whether you know them or not. Mm-hmm. You will make new friendships, and you will learn to respect um, what the outfitter does as a living, if they're doing it right. All right. 
Now, you yourself, what do you prefer, bow hunting or shotgun? I, I love to bow hunt. I wish I, I did more of it. But uh, I can honestly say, after not harvesting a deer for myself in eight years. <laughs> wow, eight years. Since I opened, I had not harvested a buck with a bow in eight years. Wow. I always felt like I'd be taking something away from my clients. Okay. So I went out of state to Illinois this year and shot my first buck with a bow. Okay. Um, so I renewed my passion for what I do, and I believe that that's going to enhance what we do here. All right, so you as an outfitter, you don't necessarily hunt with your clients. You're, it's strictly um, a, a guiding situation. For me, it, it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, everybody that comes in is paying me for a service, Okay. and for me to go out and take something away from them really bothered me. Um, so I wait till everybody's gone, and uh, I try to do my own hunting out of state. Nice, nice. I can appreciate that. All right, so um, for anyone starting out with um, just hunting in general, what's a tip you would, whether they're bow hunting, rifle hunting, what's a, you know, a tip from based off of your experience that anything you would recommend for them? Uh, if you're just going to do some target shooting and, and you want to get into some serious real hunting as far as taking an animal, practice is probably the biggest thing I can, I can preach. Practice, practice, um, practice. All right. Growing up with a sports background, I mean, we practiced every day. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to bow hunt, you should practice, take a couple shots every day. Got it. You don't have to do it for hours. You could do it 10 minutes a day. Nice. And it doesn't take much. Nice, nice. All right, yo, man, I really want to thank you for sitting down with me. I know uh, you were manning your booth and you had, you had people coming by asking questions, but I really appreciate it. Um, is there anything you want to plug? Where can people find you? Um, social media or, you know, whatever way. All right, well, if you're on Facebook, you could find us at Whitetail Crossing. Uh, you could look that up. We're located in Springfield, Kentucky. Um, if you're on Instagram, our, uh, our tag is Whitetail Crossing KY. Uh, I don't use Twitter, but uh, <laughs> um, those are probably the two best places to find us, Facebook and Instagram. All right, cool. Yo, thank you, brother. Thank you for sitting down with me. I yep. truly appreciate it. No problem. Thank you.